Today's passage today is Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. I mean, if it happens again, we can switch. Whatever you like works for me. Let's stick with it until, yeah. Sorry. Just an aside. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13 on page 860 in your pew Bible. If you're pulling out the pew Bible, it is in front of you. If you're on the floor and if you're in the balcony, it is underneath you. But Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13 on page 860. Do you ever feel like somebody has promised to you lots of different options? But when you got down to it, there were actually only very few options there. I mean, you know, the internet marketplace has kind of promised this to us, right? I I thought I was going to be able to hop on the internet and find all sorts of options. But then let's say I go on to, I don't know, Amazon, and I'm looking for, I don't know, a new pillow. And there's there's at least a hundred different options, but they all look kind of identical. And I feel like they all came out of the same factory, even if there's a different label on them, and I start to doubt whether or not there's actually that many options, or if there's just one option rotated around a lot. What do you think? The idea that there's an illusion of a lot of options happens frequently, and in a lot of circumstances, in a lot of cases. Perhaps it's with car trim levels, where it's like, oh, there's a lot of options. And really, especially right now, no, (laughs) you get what you can get, uh, and you don't throw a fit, and that's it. Well, Christ today offers us options, but with Christ, there's no illusion about how many options there are. With Christ, there's no scale of one to ten, how Christian are you, how well are you following Him? With Christ, there are only two options and two ways. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount together, and this is Christ's conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. This is His his last addressing to all of us, His last message here in the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, He says for us real clearly, there's, there's only two options. This is going to be great for you if you were without certainty yourself. If you felt a little gray or a little fuzzy about faith, this is actually going to be really helpful to you to know there's really only two options. And with that, you yourself might find some clarity today about what it means to follow Christ. Let's pray together and let's read God's Word. Father God, I thank you that you're so gracious to have spoken clearly to us today. I pray that now you would teach us so that we could obey you. I pray that you would open our eyes so that we could see. And I pray that today when we hear your words, we would not harden our hearts, but that we would believe. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who will go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching like one who had authority and not like their scribes. This is the word of the Lord for us today. First, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. To summarize all of his teaching, he says, enter by the narrow gate, not by the wide gate. He says, the way of Christ is narrow, not wide, and few find it. To be sure, this has implications about how many people in the history of the world and now will become Christians. It doesn't mean a tiny, tiny, tiny majority, minority rather. I mean, we hope it is a great many. We serve a Lord who loves all people and desires the salvation of all, but we do know it is not everybody who will come to Him. But rather, what I think you ought to focus on in this passage is you and not the masses. Not how many will come along, but what you will do. The world has a certain gravity to it. The way of the world and the life of the world has a certain gravity to it. There's an old phrase, you know, the madness of crowds. You ever been in a crowd sort of gotten out of hand, and you yourself have gotten out of hand with it. There's a, there's a pull to the way of the world, and we live in it. We're always around it. To be in the world is to be like a fish in water. What you ought to take from this passage, rather, is that you don't accidentally go about living the Christian life. You, you have to look for the way. You have to do it on purpose. If you don't live your life on purpose, you'll simply follow the gravity of the world. This means that if you're doing Christianity right, you will not look like everybody else. Your life will not look like everyone else's. And this was true for them, and it's true now, and it's always true of Christians because the world hasn't fundamentally changed. Different countries have different cultures and different places, but always to be a Christian is to be against the ways of the world. And so you're going to stick out in one way or another. To be sure, to be a Christian in China means you live differently than your neighbors. And to be sure, 
To be a Christian in Afghanistan means you live differently than your neighbors, but I suggest to you that it is also true. To to be a Christian in England, you will live differently than those around you, and to be a Christian in America, your life will not look like the lives of those people around you. I tell you, even in a beautiful, wonderful place like Aiken, which is just a great place to raise kids and a great place to have a family, this is a great place to live. Uh, If you're new to the area, you're in the right place. Uh, We all love it here. But even here, to be a Christian means you're not going to live like everybody else or look like everyone else. A pastor that I worked for once used this phrase a lot. He told me, as I was just starting to have children, and his were already more grown, they were teenagers, he said, listen, you're going to get a lot of mileage out of this phrase, Jordan. Honey, we don't live like everyone else. This is a great answer in parenting, because if you're still living in your parents' home, if you're still living around them, then you're going to have to learn this lesson like everyone else, and so it's nice to set the standards early to be like, the expectation for us, dear beloved children, is not that we'll be like everybody else. You're just going to have to know from the beginning, let me set the expectation correctly, we don't live like everybody else. Just so you know beforehand, before you get into that situation, the expectation Although the drive of the whole world, and so certainly the drive of elementary school and middle school and high school, and it doesn't end there, the whole world, is to kind of go along. There's a gravity to it. We don't live like the rest of the world. And the law of Moses, when God gave the law to Moses and Moses gave it to the Israelites, Moses gave them a law that would mean they would really not look like their neighbors. I mean, the law of Moses contains dress codes. The Israelites were to dress differently than their neighbors. You can pick them out in a crowd easy. It included dietary laws. They didn't even eat the same things as their neighbors. It included different festivals. They they didn't even celebrate the same holidays as the countries around them. One, just one, but one purpose of these laws was to visibly, physically set Israel apart for their own good, not just for the good of their neighbors, so that they could, in some very tangible ways, think about what it means to live differently in the world. We are not under this law of Moses, though surely we may end up dressing differently, and we may end up eating differently, and we may end up celebrating differently. Surely we will, yes. But we don't live under a law about these things. Rather, we live as changed people with a new heart, with a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we don't live under the spirit of the world anymore, but under the spirit of Christ, we start to want differently. Surely we will probably dress differently. Maybe. You know, this doesn't mean maybe not, you know. This doesn't mean we like our Mennonite brothers and sisters. You know, you can pick a Mennonite out in a crowd, yeah? Usually. I can. (laughs) Always. This doesn't mean radically so. This means we don't follow a law, but rather we follow the way of Christ. We follow the Spirit of Christ and the heart of Christ. It definitely, maybe we'll dress differently. Maybe we will celebrate differently. Maybe we'll eat differently, but definitely we will talk differently. Yes? Definitely we will treat 
others differently. Yeah? Definitely, we will treat each other differently. The idea is that this only works. This doesn't, this sort of thing doesn't work if we're living by worldly ways. We don't have enough in common to keep us together as a group. You know, this is not like a hunting club or a chess club or a pickleball club. We don't have a common interest here. We have a common Savior and a common spirit. And other than that, it's a joy to look around and see the vast differences even in a small room like this. Because the thing that we carry the same is that God has drawn us all together with each other and with Him. And so we will treat each other differently as we treat others differently, as we walk differently. Listen, you don't have to try to live like the rest of the world, which is shocking because I remember a time in my life before I had given my life to Christ when I, I really seemed to spend a lot of time worrying about this and trying to live like the rest of the world. You don't, as it turns out, actually have to try. There's just a pull to it and a gravity to it. But you do have to search for the narrow way to live like Christ. You know, one mark of the wide path is that it's easy. That's one mark of it. It's easy. Let me just ask you, have we overemphasized the value of easy in our lives? Have we overemphasized ease? Are we hooked on ease in such a way that if the path of Christ is challenging for us, then we'll depart from it? Let it not be so, friends. Rather, just know that we won't be like everyone else. And also, maybe this is a good application. Perhaps we ought to be at least mildly suspicious of popularity, at least popularity in the world, because we know that our way is different as our king is different. Well, that's good for us as far as how we see ourselves and think about ourselves, looking for the narrow path rather than the wide path. But what about everybody else? How are we to decide about everyone else? How are we to think about everyone else? Well, Jesus gives us a pretty clear command here to judge others. It might be surprising to you, because again, the way of the world is easy. The path of the world is you're all right so long as you don't judge anybody else. You keep yourself to your own business and we'll leave you alone is what the world says, at least what the world says. And yet Jesus here says, be on your guard against false prophets. You'll recognize them by their fruit. This means you are in fact to cast judgment. We talked about this a little bit, what, last week, two weeks ago when we talked about uh, casting judgment on others. We talked about the log in our own eye and the speck in other people's eye and how we were, in fact, to turn away from our own sins, remove the log from your eye so that you can see clearly to help the other people. But this idea that no one casts judgment is foolishness. Let me just say, everybody is constantly casting judgment at all times, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's call it discernment instead. Would that work better for you? If we just say everybody is constantly discerning or everybody is constantly making choices, because we all are doing that and it sounds better than judging, but it's functionally the same thing. We are, if you are going to leave your children with a babysitter, perhaps you'll use a little bit of discernment and judgment about who you leave your children with, right? In fact, you would be foolish not to do a little bit of research on this person. 
Likewise, we use discernment with who works with our children at this church. We run them through background checks. We make sure they're not new members, but people have been around for a while that we know. We don't leave children alone with men. There are all sorts of things that we do that are just good judgment. We cast judgment. We're all supposed to. But the way that Christ is telling us to cast judgment today is based on what you hear. It's based on teachers, not, not just not school teachers, all teachers. How about preachers? How about lifestyle gurus? How about influencers? How about anyone who sets themselves up as an authority? Oh, this is a good one. How about experts? Where did all the experts come from? Suddenly, they're everywhere, and everyone's got it. The call from Christ is this, be on guard against false prophets who will come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. I don't think this is a new phenomenon, that there are a lot of people out there who would give you advice about things. In fact, perhaps this is one of the harder things about having a new child, is how many people have opinions (laughs) about that new child and what you should be doing. And sometimes it's nice to just hear... Oh, God bless you. We're praying for you. Here, here's some food. (laughs) Here, here's a meal. Your child's beautiful and so are you. All the best. (laughs) Some advice is good, but it just comes at us at all times. There's always somebody who says, oh, I'm an expert on that. There's always somebody to say, oh, I've done my research and let me tell you. We're not to take these things passively. We're not even to take it straight or directly from preachers. Jesus says there will be these false prophets that come in sheep's clothing. To be coming in sheep's clothing means they come up to you seeming to be about your good. Oh, they're there. I can help you out. I've got good ideas for you. You know what? We can. I'm so sorry things are difficult. But inwardly, their desire is destruction or for you to be consumed. And it's not new, but it is true. And it is all over. So we are to carefully judge. And how will we judge it? What's going to be our standard for evaluation? We'll judge them by their fruit, by the actual works of their lives. I don't have to bring you a specific illustration of a famous pastor whose life did not mirror his message, because you have your own illustration, because this passage was true and is true. There are always false prophets, people out there who sound good, but we're looking for something for themselves, really, not to help out somebody else, and here's how you'll judge them. How do they live their lives? What do they do? You know, it was, I say, I don't need to bring you a concrete illustration. I don't want to get distracted from it, but let's say, like, is it long enough ago, is COVID long enough in the past to use an illustration from COVID now? Probably not. It's too soon still. <laughs> but it's like, you know, world leaders. There were all over the world, there were world leaders who enforced lockdowns and then themselves were at parties. You know, th- this sort of hypocrisy is a, is a nonsense. But that is a small nonsense compared to the one who is telling you this is what the Lord says and not themselves obeying the Lord. That's the real and serious That's the real and serious problem. And the problem is not just that they're wrong. The problem is, according to Christ, these people are wolves. 
You are to first judge your own lives if you're going to enter into Christ's kingdom. You're not going to live like everyone else. And two, you're going to have to be careful about what you do. Be careful about who you follow based on the witness of their lives, not just on the testimony of their words. After all, there's this concluding passage here, which can be terrifying to many of us, where Jesus says, on that day, when Christ returns and there's judgment, on that day, there will be many who say, oh, Lord, Lord. It's like running up to a person in a crowd. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, we know know each other. We go way back. And Jesus' response is, I never knew you. To be sure, you will know a person by their works, but we before Christ are not defined by our works, but by our relationship with Him. And so, not everyone who cries out, Lord, Lord, perhaps a good example for us is this. You even saw it this morning. I'm very proud of our brother who was baptized today. But not everybody who comes and says, Jesus is Lord, and proclaims it publicly has truly made Jesus the Lord of their life. We baptize here on the profession of faith because we can't really know. None of us can. So we take you on the profession of faith. And then, as a brother or sister, we welcome you into the congregation, and we encourage your life, but then we watch each other and encourage fruit in each other and then cast judgment based upon that to say, brother, sister, you need to live rightly. Come live rightly. It's not going to be okay for you to continue to pursue that path of life and be a member in the congregation. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but is the one who truly pursues Christ and the one who submits their life rightly to Him. All right, there's others and there's you, but let's summarize it perhaps in this way. Jesus provides a lot of concluding illustrations. That's really what the passage is, is Christ's concluding illustrations to His sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And finally, He says, really, there's only the two options, the house built on the rock or the house built on the sand. The trouble about this is they both look identical. You will not know the difference between the two of them until the difficulties come, until the storm comes. Until, like a refining fire, the challenges come, but they always come, and they will come to everyone. And then we get to see the faith demonstrated. It's always fun to kind of talk about the, uh, the house built on sand and the house built on rock when we're sitting here in this room. If you know, our seven acres is entirely sand here at the church. <laughs> there's, there's no rock beneath us. Poor Gary Miller and Tommy Ibbets, while they were digging out trenches and things like this, constantly had sand cave in. It's humorous to think about, but that's part of living in South Carolina. Your house is also probably built on sand. It's humorous to think about, but the truth is, if our lives are built upon pursuing Christ and living by His ways, it will be demonstrated And if our lives are built upon pursuing and living in the world, if we've made no functional changes to our lives and simply cried out, Lord, Lord, our faith will not endure. Uh, I had, how do you say this? I had the honor, I had the honor of preaching at two funerals this week, of talking about two of our dear friends who passed on. And yesterday, Randy Lindsay's. We were able to talk together as a congregation about a man who suffered with illness for a long, long time. 
And yet, this same man endured and trusting in Christ until the very end. Through trials, through trouble, through long illness, his faith endured. This is what it looks like to pursue Christ. I said yesterday, and I say to you today, sometimes for us Christians, victory, it doesn't look like winning (laughs) for some of us. Victory in life looks like simply holding on to our faith until the very end and arriving on that day having held on to this trust that Jesus Christ is Lord and He will set things right. This is the good life in Christ. Jesus says that the person who builds their house on a rock is what? It's the person who hears these words of mine and acts on them. It is the one who hears these words of mine and acts on them. It will not be enough for you and I to say, I trust Christ, but I'm going to verify. That's not the proper application of trust, but verify. I trust Christ, but I'm going to verify by living a very sinful life. And then, brother, let me tell you, all those things, they're not very good for you. I did it all. After I said I trust Christ, I did all this stuff. No, we're going to trust Christ. We're actually going to obey Christ and repent of those sins. It's not going to work, although many will do this to say, Jesus is Lord, but I do what I want. You can't say, Jesus is my boss, and also, okay, I know Jesus said this, but here's what I'm actually going to do. He's either in charge or he's not. Or... Likewise, it's not going to be possible for us to say, I believe without changing our lives to obey Christ as well. Belief and obey are not quite the same thing, but they are necessarily attached to each other. Everyone who believes will obey. And if you're not obeying, then you don't believe. We are certainly saved by our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ. But if you you have this faith, it must come out of you. It must burst forth out of your life in a changed life. If you really have this faith, it can't be held secret or kept captive inside of you. And so it is. It doesn't matter who hears so much as who acts on these things. The one who has faith will demonstrate it by their lives. All I have for you today is this, an encouragement towards obedience. Brothers and sisters, you who have faith, well, don't stifle it, but let that faith burst forth in the way that you live. Brothers and sisters, if you have faith in Christ, then let your actions demonstrate it. Come, Live with us the obedient life before Christ. You know, there's an application for parenting, I suppose, of all of this. As you're parenting, you don't want to sour your children. If you're grandparenting, how about? There's a thing called grandparenting. There's a as a Christian, there's a right way to steer grandkids, great grandkids towards Christ as well, coming alongside their parents to help them out. So let's say you're grandparenting for Christ. Are you parenting for Christ? Or you're thinking you will be one of these days? There's a good application for this. Certainly we don't want to turn our children away from the Lord. But we ought to 
insist on obeying Christ. We ought to say, all right, kids, yeah, 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 I know you're all a hot mess this morning, but we're going to church. This isn't legalism. I'm not worried about souring you to the gospel. Just get up. We're going. Yes, I know you want to look like all of your friends, but we don't dress like that here. We do need to insist upon obeying Christ. We don't want to put a burden on them that Christ has not put on us, but really I think that burden would be hypocrisy. Because if we're insisting they follow Christ when we ourselves don't, this is what Christ criticized the Pharisees for. So rather, parent, grandparent, repent of your sin and live a life of Christ and then steer your children towards them by modeling, by discipline, by insisting upon it so that they can see how sweet it is to follow the Lord, so that they can know. I once heard a Christian parent once say, well, this is actually how he talked. I'm not just saying this is the way of people. This friend of mine was from Alabama. Uh, He goes, well, I made my mistakes. They're going to have to make their mistakes. Let me just say, that's not good parenting, all right? (laughs) That's, That's not how that works. No, no. Because you suffered from your mistakes, and they will suffer for theirs. Instead, let us seek Christ. Let us steer each other towards Christ. Let us steer our children towards Christ. Or perhaps in conclusion, there are five different ways to have a false assurance of your faith. Maybe that's the way to organize and understand this passage together. That there are five different ways to have a false assurance for your faith. One is to say this phrase, well, everyone's doing it. Yeah, but we don't live like everyone else. Another is to say, well, the preacher said so. Yes, but you are to carefully evaluate what you're being told and what you're being taught from all sources. Perhaps another wrong way to do this is for a person to say, well, you know what, I've done a lot for God. And yet to arrive on that day with no relationship with Christ and having not pursued Him with your life. And the answer is, who are you? I never knew you. Perhaps another false assurance with your faith is, well, you know what? I like to hear a good sermon. I like to hear a good sermon too. But it's not the one who hears, it's the one who acts on these things that will be right before God. And finally, a false assurance of faith would be someone saying, you know what? I've made a profession of faith. I got up in there, I was baptized. Excellent. You should be. Come and be baptized if you haven't been. We'll baptize you any Sunday. And yet, have you actually pursued Christ in obedience? You know, I I hate to keep using our our immediate illustrations, but again, I'm very proud of our friend Jesse, you know, who for many years had been baptized before and many expected, you know, him being a Christian, but he didn't have a peace about this in his heart. And he did not in his life feel like he was a believer. He knew what was true, although we judge from the outside. It takes a lot of humility to say, I know I was supposed to have been a believer all these times, but I've never actually tried to obey Christ or pursue Christ. And now I will. Who else? Come, friends. This, this God of ours is so good, and He is so patient towards all of us. Anyone who comes to Him today, He will receive them. Come, friends. We're not going to be like everybody else. 
We do need to carefully judge what we hear. We absolutely must build our lives on Christ, which is to hear His words and obey Him. The call today is to believe and let your belief spill out in a life that obeys Him. Father God, I thank You that You're so patient with us, and I thank You that You're so gracious towards us. Perhaps we've fooled ourselves into thinking that there's many different options, and there's really just the two, in Christ or not. Let us be found in Christ. Father, as I say today, when we hear your voice, let us not harden our hearts, but let us respond joyfully. This I pray in Jesus' name.